Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and codings industry. Today's guest is Brian Baker. He's a digital strategist and the former webmaster at JF. Okay, so Brian, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Hey, thanks. It's good to be here. So, I mean, I, I was hunting around. I, I saw your profile. You're in the, the digital space, and it got me really interested. Was that always the plan? I mean, I think you, you came out of college with, I think, some background in in that area, but was it the plan to go into the area that you're currently in? Uh, you know, actually, I first got my start. I wanted to go into computer animation. So it was the early 90s, and I went off to this art school in Columbus, Ohio, and this gentleman was there teaching computer animation, and I didn't uh, actually just recently learned some of the things that he worked on, but he was one of the very early guys that actually developed some of the original computer animation software. Like he worked on a lot of the titles from the shows in the 80s, like Knight Rider and Airwolf and these things. And he had actually had to set up these computer animation facilities for these companies and help develop the software. I think he was one of the original founding folks for Wavefront, which later rolled into Silicon Graphics and now is like Maya and like the thing that you know most people use to do this kind of high-end animation. So, but as I was going on this journey, I kept bumping into all these internet people. I'm like, oh, what is what is that? Well, actually, actually, the bigger problem I have, and I don't know if I should confess this, is as a poor art student, I could not afford software. And so there was a way to get your hands on software in those days, especially very expensive computer animation software that you would never be able to afford. And so the the place to get that was the, was the internet. So <laughs> we... <laughs> Uh, so I ran into a lot of these internet people, and I actually was going to college in Columbus, Ohio. CompuServe was actually based there. So, you know, we always think of Silicon Valley, but CompuServe had been there for, you know, I think 20 years or so. They'd come out in the 70s or something like that. I can't remember exactly when you know, when they got started. And so the, the internet was starting up, and that seemed like it was going to be really important. So I got involved with a, a small web startup. I went and learned HTML. It came in a little tiny book. It was like 10 pages thick because that's all there was. Then. <laughs> and we did a huge project for CompuServe. They, they were doing like the biggest HTML project at the time. It was for an online service called CompuServe Wow. It was going to be like the first online service for Windows 95. And so it was a really great experience because I was, I was really spoiled forever because a lot of people that created these things, like the guys that create the GIF image format or the people that created the firewall, they were all there. And you know, even the HTML standards body wasn't really like W3C yet. So they were like, hey, what do you guys want HTML? We're like, hey, you know, fonts would be nice. <laughs> so it was a good time. So that's kind of how my how I got my original start. Yeah. And I, I had my own agency for a few years. We had I, I was doing a lot of work in travel industry, kind of as that the first dot com wave was coming through. It was really, really interesting. I, I remember one year we went to the meeting with all the travel agents. And they're like, oh, yeah, online booking is coming. And half of them were like, oh, it's not going to be as much as you think people want to do this. And like the very next year, like half of them were out of business because, you know, that was their that was their bread and butter was booking airline tickets for people and all the perks. So that was interesting as well. There were a couple of guys I worked with in that space that were also interesting. Um, Matthew Upchurch, who owned a travel consortium named 
it's called Virtuoso now. It used to be called API Travel Consultants. But his father was Jesse Upchurch, and he was married into the Tandy family of Tandy Computer. And they they got involved because of that. They got involved with doing like CRM stuff very, very early. Like he showed me like these eight inch floppy disks that they used to use to store everything on. So just with desktop computers, they'd do marketing segmentation. And so, you know, by the time I got there, these, even though the internet was kind of new and CRM coming to everybody else was kind of a new thing, these guys had already been at it for a long, a long time. So they, it was really great to learn from them. Yeah. I mean, how did you make your way into the roofing material side of things? Yeah, I was, I was doing a project at Travelocity. My job was to, it was just a brief contract. My job was to help get, make sure their emails were whitelisted. They were one of the biggest spammers in the world at the time. They still were sending like 28 million emails a week. And, you know, we kind of did what we needed to do there. But one of the guys that was working there with me went to this company called Elk Corporation, which is a roofing manufacturer. And after he was there for a while, he gave me a call. He said, listen, I'm going to be leaving this job soon, but I think you'd be a good fit for it. So I went and interviewed with them. That's how I got started. Now, that was also interesting because I thought, oh, well, I'm moving out of the digital space to like a more manufacturing space. And I thought, it, you know, everything will be more, a lot more stable here. They, they interviewed me and they said, um, uh, oh, it's great. You love it here. Everybody's been here for 20 years. And then GAF bought them. And so like about six months, everybody was gone. So I was sitting on the fifth floor of their office building. And, uh, you know, there used to be 100 people on the floor. And now there was just me. So the lights... I wasn't enough to keep the motion sensor, activate, sensor activated. So the lights are off. I'm just sitting there in the dark. It feels like a horror movie. It's like, oh, I'd better, I'd probably better move to New Jersey if I want to make this work. So I, I moved to New Jersey about 14 years ago. And I kind of built most of the, most of GF's uh, digital program. They have a whole lot more stuff now. They've, they've really kind of gone very heavy into it. But originally it was, just, it was just me <laughs> sort of sitting there building it. And when I originally got there, it was almost like they were in a little bit of a, a time warp at the time because, you know, the mess of the message on some folks' lips was the internet's not important to our business. And I guess from their perspective, that still was true because they would sell through channels, they'd sell through distribution. But what it really opened up for us was this incredible ability to reach consumers directly, right, which the company hadn't really had before that. And so that kind of started this great transition of GF into less of a kind of a parts catalog, right, for professionals and to more of a consumer-friendly brand. And there, you know, there were some great people that I was working with there, the creative director, marketing communications lead, head of marketing. Emily Vedetto uh, was there. She's fantastic. She's actually now the CMO at Pella. She's be bringing some of her same magic formula over there. So that was part of it. So we could reach consumers directly. We built the website we got good at search, so we were able to you know, start to put the business into contact with millions of people that they'd never been in contact with before, just because they didn't have that direct, direct reach. And beyond that, we, then we got into social media. We helped build out all the company's social media channels from scratch. And that was, that was an interesting project, too. So, you know, we went onto Facebook. Well, actually, the first day we set up the Facebook channels... The guy, a guy that was working for you was next to me, I'm like, come and like our page. I'm like, okay, great. That's one. Now, what do, you, what do we do with this? <laughs> so it was really uncharted territory, right? We didn't know what, what to do with it or who to reach initially. And, you know, one of the key insights is we really wanted to focus on roofing professionals. So we got really, really good at how to target and extract those guys from Facebook and get them connected to our, our channel. We actually couldn't, you couldn't go into Facebook and say, I want roofers, right? So that was a big 
that was a big, big problem. So we, we kind of put together this psychographic profile for roofers. I, I remembered this. There was this great series of self-portraits through the ages that I saw. I remembered from like my college days. And so they show like, here's a classical portrait. Here's a uh, cubist portrait. Here's a totally abstract portrait. But then the portrait from the 80s was like just this black canvas with a picture of all the logos of the brands that people consumed. And I thought, well, actually, what are all the things that constitute a roofing contractor in that regard? And so that was how we got good, how we got good at that. And we built a community of about 300,000 folks, which we were very early in the space. So for a long time, we had kind of an, an unchallenged voice in that community. And the other thing is the Facebook algorithm wasn't what it was today. You could generally post your content and everybody would see it back then. And so it gave the company this tremendously powerful voice, right? That none of their competition had. So for, you know, almost, almost a decade, right? The company had this incredible lead where we could actually communicate our agenda to the marketplace and nobody else could do that. And that's, that was just amazing. Cause you know, in roofing, they don't normally make these massive consumer branding investments like Nike or so, you know, I think Owens Corning did their Pink Panther stuff in the, in the eighties. I don't know if you, if you remember that the pink insulation commercials, but it just didn't make economic sense for them to do that. So there wasn't a good way before that for them to actually reach everybody. And because of that, a lot of the things that we were doing, so we, you know, we built a number of, of apps that were interesting. Like we made, we made this great roofing shingle swatch app the challenge with those, and I don't know if you're, I, I think you're kind of in the coding space, but you know, those boards are big and heavy and expensive and nobody's running around with all 140 colors in the back of their truck, right? This, that doesn't have the carrying capacity for that. So we made this great shingle color and samples app and distributed it to folks. It was right about the time the iPad 2 came out and it had the, like the first retina display. So we had these super high resolution photos that we had shot. Actually, they took the, they took the shingles and to this kind of industrial size scanner. And they actually scanned them in at like 1,000 DPI or something like that on the flatbed scanner that they, somebody, somebody found a printer with a flatbed scanner big enough to put a whole shingle board on. So we had these super great samples for people. And that's, that was, let's let, we created some other things that were like kind of like more utility apps. We had one called Roofing Wizard. So it's kind of like an in-home sales tool. You could take it as a roofing contractor and just kind of step the homeowner through the process. Like this is your underlayment. This is your, these are your shingles. These are, this is your warranty. And that was kind of how we, it's, it's actually, I haven't seen anybody else think about the app space in that way, but I, you know, my thought was, I don't want to try to control the whole process. Instead, I want to become a simple utility that the roofer could just like whip out and leverage and not have this and not be sitting here tangled up with an app while there's, you know, sitting there with the customer. Mm, yeah. So with that shingle color thing, like how easy was it to get people going on it? And were they, how accurate was it in terms of the color and, and what the customer ended up with? So the good news is, but you know, shingles are interesting because they're made out of these, these minerals. And a lot of that, a lot of how they appear depends on the lighting condition that they're actually in. So if I look, look at one particular shingle at dusk versus the morning versus the afternoon, it's going to look slightly different. The good thing about the iPad that came out at that point in time was it was very good with color accuracy. So we could at least get, we could get something that was comparable to our, to what we would put in print and put in front of a homeowner, but neither of those, right, is the actual real material. So it, give, it would give you a really good sense. Again, the X super high resolution photos we had helped a lot, particularly with that device that came out at that time. But, you know, from time to time, 
color variability could be a problem. So they're like, they're actually made out of minerals that come out of the earth. So depending on exactly where in the earth, even though they're coming out of the same quarry, like that color can vary from time to time. But that's all part of the fun of working with a natural material. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, colors are always difficult with, uh, with anything. Now, you mentioned psychographics. Just to get a sense of how much detail, like roughly, you went into to try to figure that out. I'm just wondering from a smaller company's point of view, like what, what can we learn by that process? Do you have images? Was it all text? What did that psychographic profile look like for your customer? Well, like, I don't think I'm allowed to tell you exactly what the no, model no, was, not but... the specific. You don't need to give me the specifics. <laughs> just get, if someone was trying to build this for their business, what what would they what would the components be, and how would what would that look like? Yeah. So if you if you think about a roofing contractor, there are there are certain clothing brands they're going to buy for work clothes. There are tool brands that they're going to leverage. There are the other thing that's interesting in construction is you're not just trying to target people that are roofers because sometimes I'm a roofer in the summer and I'm doing tile in the winter, right? Because it's not practical to do, to do roofing. Um, so look at, look at those sort of adjacent industries because the actual labor force is, is transient, right? It's moving through a number of those, a number of those spaces. So, and then a lot of it was just a ton of experimentation. It, we were at a time where we were able to get connections for five to 10 cents a piece. Cause again, we were very early, uh, you know, now it's probably a few bucks to build these things. And so we we're able to run a lot of experiments that weren't, that didn't cost that much. Like, okay, let's try beer. Let's try, right. Actually they <laughs> roofers like beer and weed. So that's, but we didn't, we weren't able to go into. <laughs> Those are not promo items, right? <laughs> No, I, well, actually, the company wasn't able to wasn't able to give out alcohol as promo items. That was that was one of the rules, of course. But but it was really great. Now, the other thing that the other thing we did that was really great was as we started to collect these folks, we'd go back and like their pages and follow their pages back, and it created this great feed for us. And this is I, I, hopefully I'm not letting too much out of the bag here because this is like 11 years ago now. This is past, uh, but, right? It's all changed now. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, we went back and we liked all their pages. And so we produced this great feed where we could actually see what they were all doing. Now, you have social media listening tools today, but in a lot of respects, this is better, right? Because social media listening is I'm going to put my brand's names in there and see when somebody's talking about me. But I'm not really hearing what they're talking about the rest of the time, which is mostly not about me. And so by seeing what everybody is talking about, we were able to figure out the right strategy for, for content and social media. Right. And it was, it's like, well, what are actually these pillars, right? What are these folks talking about? What are they actually passionate about? What do they care about? And you, you know, you could, you could harvest those ideas and as the brand level, you could take and reflect them back and amplify them. And that would create this real community connection, right? People would see their ideas, right? Except we produce a better version of it, right? We would do a more intense version or structure things in, into campaigns. So and it was also so important to just work and elevate the community. Like this, this idea that you would just chest thump as a brand and like every post would be, look how great we are, look how great we are. That gets really old fast. So the really, the most important thing to do there is to elevate your community. And I, you know, I really would recommend that to, to everybody in, in building materials is show other people being successful with your products. Instead of telling somebody how great you are, show them how successful people actually are with your products. 
So that was, yeah, it was really great. I, I actually would go on as the brand and I'd like people's posts or comment on people's posts and people go, oh, wow, we can't believe GF came to comment on our post. And I'd feel like a big celebrity, but it wasn't really, I wasn't the celebrity. It was just the, they didn't know it was me behind the scenes for a little while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so you're saying even now with any company, the great insight is still fairly manual process. Would, would you say that that's true? For social media? Yeah. Yeah, you're going to have to put the work in. You can hire an agency to do an investment and they'll run some ads and get you some followers. But if you really want a solid community that's connected to you, you're going to have to do, you're going to have to do the work. You're going to have to know what's on their mind. You're going to have to be talking to them directly. You're going to have to be responding to them, reacting to them. It's not a, it's not a, social media is not a channel for you to hard sell. It's a channel to build community. Yeah, for sure. Now, I saw on your profile that you've worked on million dollar campaigns. You've worked on campaigns or ideas with zero budget. Now, what are some, as you said, those early opportunities back in the day were with, you know, going into ads and stuff like that and being early or developing on Facebook. What are the current opportunities you see for any company? Well, that is a, that is a very interesting question. I think there's still some, a lot of very interesting work to do in the online lead generation space. This is an area where we got really good with this at, at GF. So we created this great local contractor directory. And again, we were, we were early. It was the, this was maybe 2010, I guess. May get the dates wrong, but roofing contractors wanted to get their businesses ranked in Google. And they weren't able to, to do that because all these small directories sprung up, people that kind of were a little smarter technically and squeezed them out. And this is before Google Places. So it was like they just couldn't participate in the internet because they were just boxed out. And so they were looking to us as a manufacturer in terms of what could we, what could we do. And we got really, really good at SEO. In fact, we had this little blue, I got this, my hands on this little blue search appliance. It's called a Google Mini, not what you know as a Google Mini today, but for maybe even only just a short window, like a year, you could buy one of these things. It was about 3000 bucks. SEO is kind of a black hole here. There's all kinds of bad advice. And then I got to wait three months to see what actually comes back in Google. Like it's the reason if we get our hands on one of these boxes, we could actually kind of figure out the rules of Google. So we kind of were able to reverse engineer that. We got very, very good in the product space. We got very, very good in the local space. And we were able to dominate that space for a long, long time, like six, seven, eight, eight years, I think. We just kind of crossed the board at superiority. But for the roofing contractors, we were able to elevate all those local pages and turn something that was just doing a handful of leads a year to something that was doing a very large number of leads and referrals per year. Yeah. Uh, I, actually, when I first took that program over, it was there was a web form and people would fill it out. And what would happen behind the scenes is it would send a fax to the roofing contractor and then you know, that would just sit there and collect dust. And that the, at that point in time, homeowners thought it was great if somebody would call them back in a week. I mean, now that's crazy, right? You're, it's bleed's going to go cold. But so we, we wanted to cure that process. Now, over time in the lead generation space, a lot of things have changed. So Home Advisor is there. Angie's List is there. I remember showing one of our contractor designs to Angie's List. And it's like, the, you know, they opened their mouth, like their gum fell out, right? Because it was like, it was, it was a lot better than what they were doing at the time, which is funny too, because, you know, Angie's List, you think of them as a kind of a more hip, hip company, but they, at that point in time, had been in business for almost 20 years as well. So they, they had gotten attached to a lot of these internal ideas and they weren't moving and, and evolving anymore. 
so they were they were a little surprised to see what we were working on and and how far ahead it was of what what they were thinking. The but as that space evolved, so Angelus is there, Home Advisor is there. Those guys have merged over the years, and so they're kind of the last one remaining. And then Google's kind of invaded the space with its own listings. So you've got Google Places, and now they've got local service ads on top of that. And so it was like, well, now that Google's gone nu- nuclear here and squeezed all everybody off the off the real estate what do you do, right? So for everybody, I think they think that's sort of the end of the road, but I think there's actually another much larger opportunity here to explore. I can't get into it too much right now, but maybe we can chat about that in, in the future. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. So, I mean, one of, one of the things with the, the pandemic and everyone being so remote and being forced to get on more digital tools, I always wonder, what are the let's say the practical limitations of these digital tools in terms of developing relationships. Yeah. So every time somebody says, let's build an app or something like that, I, I cringe. There's like, a, there's like an old joke that comes to mind. It's like, it's like any, anybody that says I want to pour honey all over your body and lick it off, like has never done that before. Right. <laughs> Cause it's going to be a whole lot bigger and messier project than anybody wants it to be. And when you build apps, you're getting into, so usually a business person will come say, hey, I have this idea or a marketing person will say, hey, let's do this. But they don't really understand that they're getting into a kind of deep stack here, right? We've got to do UX design. You've got to have a good business model. You've got to to deal with operations, IT operations, and then digital operations, which are analytics, metrics, advertising, right? You got to get people to this thing, get them to use it and get them to keep using it. And then they also don't tend to realize that you're taking on they think of an app as a product. Let's, well, we made the app, so we're done, right? But they're actually not done, right? So you're actually obligating yourself to perpetual service. You have to serve these apps and you have to support them. That's, that's really hard for a, lot, for a lot of business folks to kind of get their heads around. Like, oh, I don't want to think about that or that's hard or that's very tough for them. And that, that, I would say actually that's why a lot, of, a lot of these efforts sort of fail, particularly you know, we were in roofing manufacturing and when we first started doing some digital stuff, I mean, you know, the company was organized around being a roofing manufacturer. It wasn't organized around being a software company. And if you're going to do these kinds of things, you do have to organize a team around kind of being a, a software company and software support company. But as far as how useful some of these tools are, I think the ones that tend to do the best are the ones that have the greatest clarity of purpose. So if you try to do too many things, it's like, oh, we're going to have our whole relationship with you in here and all your processes and everything. They have a harder time. If you if you have a simple utility like, oh, here's a great digital measurement app or here's a visualization app that's backed by AI. So I can point it at your house and get a map, a map, a texture map on your roof really quickly and show you that like those are more focused utilities and they don't tangle people up on the ground. And that's that's something that's also important is a lot of folks will. Things that make sense in the office don't make sense on the ground. So they sound like good ideas, but when you actually go watch somebody use it, you see them fumbling around, you see them awkward with a with a customer. You got to watch that. The only way to get around that is really, you know, simplicity, reliability, clarity of purpose, and your operations have to be flawless because it's like if you blow somebody a big customer, you, <laughs> you know, it's like somebody's trying to sell a half million dollar job and their app blows up and they lose it, you know, then they, you know, they lose, they lose trust. Yeah, there's definitely a lot there for sure. How about for advice sake? I mean, you've you've done this for a long time. You've learned a lot in the process. Is there anything you would have changed or insights you know now 
that didn't come so naturally earlier in your career? Yeah, I would definitely say when I was a young lad, I was <laughs> I was very focused on developing my own skills and abilities. So a lot of times I would know a lot more than the other folks in the room with me because I, you know, that's how I'd spend all my free time and everything, learning about this, figuring out how things work, looking at how it would work. And, you know, a challenge for me was bringing everybody along with me. So I think as I've matured, I've learned to collaborate more with folks and even kind of put together this process where we're going to go on this adventure together. We're going to, I'm going to talk and walk you through. I'm going to walk you through and show you all the insights so that we can all come to the same conclusion, right? In terms of what we should be doing and why we should be, why we should be doing it. So that's something that's for me that came with in my early years, just talent. I got by in talent. And then later with that maturity, bringing everybody else is important. It's also really important for the scale of things that you want to do. If you're doing something small, you can work, sometimes you can work independently, but when you need to bring a lot of people with you or you need to kind of raise an army of supporters or you need to build political support or, or economic support for your project, you know, that matter, that starts to matter a lot. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Now, I'm not sure, but do you have any hobbies outside of what you do on a day-to-day or is work the hobby or do you have other things? I'm a bit of a workaholic. I, I'm also an illustrator. I originally was going to school for illustration and animation, so I still do some artwork from time to time. That's uh, actually today is, this is April 20th, Apple's announcing a new iPad. So I'm excited about that because I have one here and I love to love to draw on it. So, you know, that's one of the things I do. I Other things I do that are hobbies maybe aren't so fun for other people. Like I love to learn. So I'm like, oh, a seven hour documentary on the history of the microchip. I'm like, I'm... <laughs> I mean. I'm like totally, I'm like totally in. So I love that stuff. For me, like YouTube has been amazing. I've got like a premium subscription, so there's no ads. So I can just, and mostly I'm watching educational content or people that teach or how you learn things. That's been really great. And some of these others, technology, one of the things that's happened in the last several years, there's a great technology website it's called Pluralsight, where you can go out and learn technology skills. It used to be 20 years ago, if you want to do online training, you're going to be paying like $5,000 a course. I don't know if you remember this time period, but then they came up with this kind of Netflix model. It's like, oh, you can learn everything about technology here. You can just sit here for thousands of hours and watch and learn <laughs> from the top people in the industry. Like really, it was really amazing, actually. So yeah, I guess my life kind of centers around, I'm always either learning something or making something or kind of working on strategy and planning for the more things I'm going to be doing later. So it sounds very familiar to what I do. <laughs> uh, so is, is there any sort of question that I did not uh, ask you that I should have? I don't, I don't know. I'm actually, you've been at this podcast for a while. Like what have you, well, actually, let, let, me, let me ask you this. Like, you know, today, you know, somebody had a good, uh, great achievement in the roofing space of getting 40,000 subscribers. Are you, are you playing with the other influencers yet? Or like, how are you thinking about that? How am I thinking about the content that I create? Well, not just the content, but just kind of, you know, collaborating with the other influencers. Like, it's almost like I see some of the folks in the tech space that are very good at this, probably more naturally so because they're, they're tech guys, but they start to do these collaborations. And it's kind of like when they start tagging each other, playing with each other, it's kind of like all the ships rise. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll do a little bit of that, but I think what the content that I, I work on, the main thing it is, is it supports my learning and my curiosity. So I think it's what I do is 
maybe not as focused as some of the people that are genuinely trying to create an audience are. So, I mean, I'm open to it, but I haven't, uh, the day job is keeping me really busy. So I, I really enjoy what I'm doing, but yeah, I have, I have done a little bit here and there. Yeah. How's that? Like, how long have you been at this? Two years. Two years? Podcast, yeah. Wow. Before it was, and now everyone has one, right? <laughs> Uh, you know, not every, not everybody. It's not for, you know, a lot of, some people are scared to get on camera. Some people are, they're not so, they maybe don't have a good natural talent for the communications part. I think what you're doing is absolutely great. I think you're, you're building a great network. It's probably opening a lot of, a lot of doors for you because they, they can see you and they can hear you in advance and it kind of creates this trust before anybody even meets you. I think that's great. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Yeah. So Brian, thank you for being so open and sharing. Uh, love your story. And your love for this shines through for sure. So I I very much uh, thank you for filling me in. And I'm sure the audience got a lot out of it. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Specified Growth Podcast today. I also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. Make sure you check out YouTube.com forward slash cats talks for video of today's podcast hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes entrepreneurial tips and more see you over there This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.